I want to speak about something that uh, is very fundamental for uh, us as believers when we consider who we are as believers. Uh, what is your identity? That is, how do you identify with yourself? Uh, that is, how, who do you identify with? Um, who tells you you're important? That's a big deal. All of us have that need inside of us of importance. And that's not vanity. It's the truth. We do. Um, it is in us to identify with something or someone that we can model after and become like that feeds that crave that we have that my life has to have importance. It has to have meaning. It has to have um, a purpose of why I'm here. Uh, it's the reason why people uh, belong to something. Why do people belong to clubs? Uh, why do they identify with sports teams? Um, patriotism. Um, the military, right? You've heard the expression, once a Marine, a Marine for life. Yeah. Uh, the family name. Why do people, why is that so important to us when we think about it? Uh, children model after their parents, right? Uh, we've seen that. Young adults, uh, they model what they perceive adulthood to be. Like, why do so many young people do dumb things like smoke? Because to them, that's what adults do and they want to be an adult. Unfortunately, they're modeling the wrong thing. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They model what they perceive adulthood to be. Uh, new believers model those that walk with the Lord uh, for many years. That's good. That's the way it should always be. Um, some people model others in ministry, and that's how they learn ministry from. Uh, so some of you may have heard of the uh, evangelist, uh, I think he's at home to be with the Lord now, uh, A.W. Schembach. Uh, he was um, a song leader for A.A. A. Allen, and one particular crusade, A.A. A. Allen could not come out. I don't remember if he died or not, but they kind of looked at Shambach and said, you speak. I said, I don't want to speak. I sing. No, you speak. Uh, I don't want to speak. So they basically pushed him out there. There's a huge crowd of people. And all of a sudden, all he said was, I just did what A.A. Allen did. And people were getting healed. People were getting saved. Wow. He modeled after the person, sort of, he understudied, and uh, that gave him an identity of who he was. And of course, he kept that model for his entire life. Um, so it's in us to belong to something, to model after something. It's in us for that. But the question is, what are we identifying with? That should be the big question. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17, it says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Well, if something new has come, why would I want to identify with something old? A very big question. And if this is true, our identity must be in Christ. And that's really what I'm here to talk about tonight. My identity is in Christ. This is fundamental 101, yet I tell you, so many believers do not live this way. Uh, the problem is that more than 80% of the body of Christ uh, have a very limited identification with Christ in their minds and how they live their daily life. Really very little. Uh, they, their identity is only known after the flesh, after their five senses. And wow, it, what a failure that is. Um, we just saw in 2 Corinthians 5.17, 
But before that in verse 16 it says, Therefore from now on we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we had, have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Paul's point here is we don't identify after the natural man anymore of the flesh. That would cheapen this great transformation God has brought into our lives by making us a new creation. So if we keep identifying with the natural man of the flesh, we are identifying with the nature of spiritual death, which we have been redeemed from. When we talk about you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, what does that mean? The nature of spiritual death has been eradicated. You're spiritually alive to God. Whether you feel like it or not or look like it or not, you are. So when we know people according to the flesh, they identify with them, common sense, according to the flesh. But these are false areas according to the flesh. And the majority of these areas, if you're taking a note, are culture, society, and the five senses. Let's look at this briefly. Culture, society, and the five senses. Uh, we can spend a lot of time on this, uh, but we, due to time, of course, we can't. Um, the first false area is that we identify with culture. I'm Italian. I'm Irish. I'm black. I'm white. I'm Asian. I'm an American. If we want to live biblically, we have to stop being Irish. Italian, white, black, Asian, etc. To identify with the flesh man and not of the spirit, then you will be like the ones you identify with. And those ethnicities can't save themselves. I remember Walt Helius said that many times he st when he got this revelation personally in his walk, walk, uh, walking with the Lord at a young age, he said, I stopped being Irish. Me, my ethnic background is 100% Italian. I've stopped being Italian. I'm second generation born in America, so what? I stopped being Italian. I don't wear shirts that say, proud to be an Italian-American. I don't do that stuff. Why? I don't want to identify after the flesh. I'm a man of the Spirit. I want to live that way. Very important we get this. Um, because if we identify after the flesh and the things of the flesh and the things of culture, these things end at death and they end at the grave. But the identity in Christ is eternal. And isn't that really what I'm living as? A new creation in Christ Jesus. Also consider, we don't have time to go into this, it's a big topic, but all ethnicities have national curses that travel through the, through the bloodline. Why would I want to identify with that? Jesus has redeemed me from that, right? To keep identifying with the flesh is to diminish what Christ has really done for us. Easy. Another false identity, number two. People identify with society. Uh, the particular society you live in, the music of that society, the literature of that society, the entertainment of that society, uh, the media coming at us. It's telling us constantly to conform and be just like it. You're constantly bombarded with that. This is the image you're supposed to walk in. And we're being bombarded with that subconsciously. Send a child to public school, they're going to be bombarded with that from uh, kindergarten all the way through graduation high school. And today in America, the way it's set up, if you send a child to public school from kindergarten all the way through high school, you will graduate a socialist. Yeah. They don't even know they are, but they think like one. 
And believe it or not, it starts as early as Sesame Street. What? How can you talk like that? Yeah? Let me tell you what you have never seen on Sesame Street, and you never will. In Sesame Street, you have the child sees his neighborhood, right? He experiences his neighborhood. You will never, ever see a scene where a family is walking to church. Why? That is not in the socialist mentality. They don't attack it. They just ignore it like it doesn't exist. And it's then not part of that child's upbringing. How about that? We had a lady here one time. Uh, she was Roman Catholic, and uh, she came to our ministry school, and um, she taught catechism. That's just a, a side comment. She taught catechism at this particular Roman Catholic church, and I think she taught five-year-olds, five or six, maybe six-year-olds. And um, it was September. They go, they go with the school year, and so she says to the class, Oh, kids, guess what's going to happen in the next few months? Whose birthday is it going to be? The kids are staring at her. It's going to be Jesus' birthday. And one kid said, who's he? She almost fainted. This is a Roman Catholic church. She almost fainted. That kid had never heard that name before in the first five or six years of his life. Wow. Wow. That is an example of being trained by a society that doesn't know Christ. Wow. Obviously, maybe the parents got pressure from the grandparents. When are you going to send your kid to catechism? Blah, blah, blah. Or maybe they're thinking religiously, First Communion. They're not thinking spiritually, right? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, yeah, we, we, there, there, there's, there's a push out there to get you to conform to the society you live in, regardless of what country it is. We're called to conform to that which is above. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, very important book, very important chapter. This is a chapter you want to read again and again. Colossians chapter 3, if then you have been raised with Christ. Let's stop there. Uh, the NIV translation says, since you have been raised with Christ. That's a better translation, although the original Greek doesn't say that. Because the word, if you've been raised with Christ, if then, in the original Greek, it's, it's called a fourth class conditional, which means if you have been and certainly you have. The better way to translate that is since. Since you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Colossians 3 is a biggie. It's a big chapter that says so much to us. It meant a lot to me in my personal life. And I, I, oddly enough, to my surprise, it also meant a lot to Walter Healy when he was a very young Christian. It spoke to him in a very personal way too. Yeah, we need to stop looking down at the world we live in and start looking up, raising our heads up to what we have been redeemed and raised to. We need to identify, and we need to identify with anything else than Christ for what he's really done for me is a mistake. Now, for example, how many people you hear in, in the culture we live in, hey, I'm a rebel. Really? And they identify with it. You know, in the Old Testament, rebels are cursed by God. Read the book of Exodus. That's why they died in the wilderness. You want to identify with something that's cursed of God? The rebel is cursed, not blessed. Uh, other things that people identify with, 
uh, in the society they're from that are, are just opposed to the gospel. Gosh, how many people wear skull and crossbones? That's a spirit of death. Why would you want to identify with a spirit of death? Amen. Bible tells me death is an enemy. Never embrace something that Jesus went to the cross to defeat for you and me. You've got to question everything when you come to Christ. Why? Because you're a new creature now in Christ Jesus. What I did know isn't acceptable anymore. I've got to test. I've got to, the Word of God tells me test everything and hold fast to that which is good. So the enemy is a counterfeiter. There's no truth found in him, so he counterfeits and tries to get us accept, to accept the lie as a truth to live by. And we also have to always remember we live in a post-World War II society in America. It is an anti-Christ society that is in replacement of Christ. And we're, we're bombarded with that all the time. You'll never be encouraged by any television show or news program or song you listen to to walk with Christ unless you listen to Christian music or Christian television. You're not going to. I think it was last week we read this scripture. It applies to us once again tonight. Romans 12, 2. Do, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, that what is the good, acceptable, and perfect. And out of the Amplified Bible, do not be conformed to this world age. I like that better. Uh, fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs. And of course, it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Why am I a new creature in Christ Jesus? Because part of it is I am no longer home here. Home is in the presence of the Lord. I am an alien in this world. As long as I am here, it should be foreign and, and strange and odd to me, like I don't fit in. Isn't that why the Word of God calls the people of God a peculiar people? Because you don't fit here. You don't belong here. I remember one time I knew this guy. I don't know if he's going to watch it on, on the internet. It was many, 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 many years ago. He was raised in a Christian home, and he just wasn't living right with God. So he goes to this uh, strip club, and uh, so he's sitting there at the bar drinking, and there's this girl in front of him stripping and everything, and she reaches down, she looks at him and goes, you know, you don't belong here. How about that, huh? Talk about prophetic. He got up, and he walked out, and never went back. How about that? Yeah, you don't belong there. That's for the dead to hang around. You're not dead. Now you're alive in Christ. How about that one? I said, well, you can't get more <laughs> prophetic than that guy. I'm like, you don't get this one. You are really dull. I mean, wow. They don't talk to people at bars like that. Right? Common sense. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, uh, let's go on here. False area number three that people identify with. And this is a really big one. The five senses. Our five senses. Uh, you know, granted, we receive obviously the knowledge of this realm that we live in through our five senses. We know that. Uh, but for some people, it means the world to them. I want what I see. I want what I hear. I want what feels good. I can only believe what I can see and touch. They're five sense ruled people. They can't grasp spiritual things. And a lot of times, you know, you'll hear them say things like, hey, I just do my own thing. You're going to I do my own thing. 
Did you know that was a satanic expression? A lot of rock and rollers in the 60s studied Satanism. And that, that came from a song. And um, I don't know if you remember the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. They had this crowd of people in back of the Beatles. If you look in the upper corner, I think it's the left corner, you see this bald-headed guy with big eyes. That's Aleister Crowley. John Lennon put him there. Aleister Crowley was a master warlock from the 1800s. And he wrote a book basically that was to do everything what Christians say, do the opposite. Uh, anyway, part of the book was do what thou wilt, which in modern English is do your own thing, which means don't do the way God wants it. Do your own thing. Live a life the way you feel like you want to live it. Well, that's a rebel, cursed of God. How about that? How many times we hear that now in, in our society? Hey, I'm just doing my own thing, man, you know, I'm just doing my own thing. That's a satanic phrase, and people don't even realize what they're saying. It's, it's like woven into culture here. You know, the world today is five cents ruled. They strive after things. They run after money, social position, education, uh, being famous. You know, I was really surprised a few years back. They polled young people, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old. I forgot what it was, or 12 years old. It might be 13. And they said to them, what is your ambition in life? You know what the answer overwhelmingly was? to be famous. Isn't that wild? That's what the world that they lived in taught them, to be famous. Amazing. People strive after uh, by things by what I own, by what they do, uh, who they're connected to. It could be even family, spouse, employment, who they're connected to. Uh, most lives prior to Christ are molded by right? Culture and society in which we were raised. When we become new creatures in Christ Jesus, we have to break that mold. That's why a child's mind is so precious. It's been said it's like a ball of clay that can be molded into whatever way it can be molded into. And what image we mold it, it will become. I don't know if you remember the famous saying from St. Augustine, give me a child until he's seven and I will give you the man. In other words, give me a child, I will teach him to walk with God by age seven, and he will walk with God for life. He was right. In modern studies, for example, it's amazing Augustine said that. That's like what, fourth century AD, fifth century? Uh, in modern studies, George Barna, who's a Christian researcher, um, had, did, did a research that he found out that we need to get to children with the gospel before age nine. That, that, that's amazing. Forget teenage, before age nine. It's too late when they're teenagers. Wow. Because by age nine, their, their worldview has been already shaped. How can that be? Because of the mass media and communication coming at us. People grow up too, too fast. Wow. Why do you think the devil brought the Harry Potter series to children? to get them before age nine. You had little girls, seven, eight years old, reading the book going, I want to be a witch. They're identifying the mind is being molded. Wow. So, you know, so if many of us have received Christ as our Savior after age nine, that's probably the majority of the room here, uh, we have a great deal that we have already identified with that is not of the Lord. 
right? So we have to break that. We are constantly in an undoing process and remolding ourselves to identify with Christ. But too often, yeah, when you look at life, it's a seesaw experience. They walk with the Lord, they don't. They walk with the Lord, they don't. It's like back and forth. They're constantly being pulled back into the other experience of how they were raised. So what do we choose to identify with? Um, and is the counterfeit ident that, 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 that is the culture brings us in our society? Is it the five senses? Or is it Christ and Christ alone? Today is a kind of a, a sharing about that. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, one of my favorite scriptures, uh, where the Lord is saying uh, through Moses here, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. All of us have a daily choice. Am I choosing life today? And if you fail, thank God for his goodness and the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I'm moving forward, not backwards. But I'm constantly reminded every day, am I choosing life? Choosing life is a daily process. Choosing death or choosing life is a daily process. However, uh, choosing life for us as believers is tied with identifying with Christ. So as the last time we have here tonight, I want to look at three true areas, not the false areas that we just looked at, but three true areas to identify with, uh, that we would identify with Christ. I wish we could spend a lot of time with this, uh, but they'll just introduce it. It's not hard to pick up. The first true area a believer is expected to identify with is being accepted. Isn't that an odd statement? Being accepted. People are always looking for acceptance, especially when they didn't get it growing up. Where do I find acceptance? By marriage? By children who I associate with? My job? Uh, you know, just in general, a side comment, men and women are wired very differently. You may have noticed that. We have a strange culture where men are trying to be women and women are trying to be men, which I think they're out of their minds. In general, men get their identity by what they do. Women get their identity through relationships. That's why to women, marriage is very important. Children are very important. Uh, grandparents are very important, uh, etc. Grandchildren are very important. They, they get a, their, their purpose and identity through relationships. Men, not as much. What they do means everything. That's why for a man, when he retires from work, is one of the most stressful experiences in his life. Now, not everyone, but in general. Uh, most men, when they retire, go through a depression. I have no purpose anymore. What do I, because what do they have to identify with? My purpose was my job, what I did. I don't have that anymore. That's why men, when they retire, have a, are at a very high risk of suicide. Uh, these are all factual information from uh, mental health professionals that tell us this. Uh, it, it's traumatizing for a man to retire. I remember when my father retired. He didn't do too good. It took him several months to uh, overcome not working, the emotional attack against him. He picked up a part-time job, not because he really had to, because he had to. He wasn't identifying with being home and not doing anything because that was his purpose in life, to work. Um, so, you know, being accepted is a big deal. 
uh, too many find their acceptance through their jobs, which usually leaves them very hollow later in life. Uh, we have a need for acceptance. That's the point here. It completes us. It secures us in our personality as we grow up. Uh, being accepted as a man, being accepted as a woman. Uh, we need to hear that we belong. Uh, parents need to do this with children, to have them believe that they're accepted just as they are so they don't have to grow up trying to earn their parents' love. That is so sad when you see that happen. We need our peers uh, when we're growing up to accept us. Often, that's not a good experience. We need our spouse to accept us. Uh, there was a very popular psych book years ago, for those of you who are old enough to remember. It was entitled, I'm Okay, You're Okay. What was that about? It spoke to issues like this. You're okay just as you are. You don't have to do anything to find acceptance. But yet, we constantly do. So the real issue uh, behind the gay agenda in, in this country, please accept me the way I am. Tell me I'm okay. That there's, a, there's an underlying lack of security there. Um, the entire topic, the need for acceptance, changes when we become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, Father God takes me just as I am. Isn't that good news? I know I'm imperfect, and it doesn't seem to bother him. So, for the believer, we can't go through all this. In Christ, <clears throat> I am accepted. Romans chapter 5, I'm justified. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm united with the Lord, one spirit with him. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm called a holy one. That's what the word saint means in, in, in our modern English, a holy one. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, I'm redeemed. I'm not in bondage to sin anymore. Colossians chapter 2, I'm complete. Jesus does all this for what men cannot do for themselves. And he accepts us in spirit, not in the natural based on our performance. Right? How many people try to make, clean themselves up and make them better for God? He's not interested in you doing that. If you could do that, you don't need Jesus. Because you can't do it, you need Jesus. And for many people, their acceptance is based on their performance. Uh, go prove yourself. This is not the way God sees us. Isn't that good news? He truly accepts us for who we are. He sees the blood of Jesus over us, and we're accepted in his sight because of the blood of Jesus. We don't have to earn his acceptance like men will demand that we do to be accepted by them. You know, we need to come to a point where we realize this, that accept the fact that if Jesus accepts me the way I am, I don't have to try to clean myself up first to be found worthy. He approves me because his shed blood says I'm approved, and that's all that matters. And if I need to be cleaned up, he knows how to clean me up. Amen? When God catches fish, he knows how to clean his own fish. He doesn't need help. Amen. Too many believers are trying to earn God's acceptance. Stop. You can't give enough. You can't lead enough souls to Christ. You can't read enough. You can't pray enough. Stop. Do those things because it's your nature now to do those things, not because you're trying to earn something from God. Uh, you can't. That would say that Jesus' work for me is not enough. I have to add something to it. And when we come to realize this, we truly come to a place of rest. I don't have to run myself 
uh, ragged to trying to find God to please me. Do you know all cults have that in common? You never have assurance. You never have acceptance. You got to work, 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 work to find yourself worthy. The JW, Jehovah Witness, work, 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 find yourself worthy. The Mormon, you need to be married in the Mormon temple or you have no eternal future. Work, 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 work. Islam, did you know in Islam they teach that when you die, two angels have an argument over your eternity? They call them recording angels. If you ever heard the expression that angels sit on your shoulders, that's Islam. That's an Islamic teaching. And they, they record all your good deeds in life and all your bad deeds in life. And then when you die, they have an argument. And who makes the best argument, that determines your eternity. Well, that could run you crazy upstairs. Never have an assurance. Never, never have a, a rested peace. Only Christianity. You don't have to earn anything. The Lord just accepts me the way. Wow, what a rest that is. I'm not my, I don't have to be my own savior anymore. Oh, good stuff. Anyway, second true area that the believer needs to identify with is being secure. Being secure. People need security. Children need security. They need to have a place of safety to grow up in. It's vital to, to them for their emotional, healthy, uh, mental development. Uh, people want to feel secure, especially in times when there is no security, such as unstable economic times or pandemics. People are searching for security. Uh, as pastors, we meet people all the time who are just very insecure people. They're still, as adults, looking for their father's approval that they never had when they grow up, when they were growing up. Um, so what do I seek that I would be secure? In my marriage? In my children? In my money? My possessions? My education? My social position? My job? These are things people are trying to find security in. But the important key here is what you choose, you will worship what you believe your security is in. And you don't want to have it in anything but Christ. People worship their spouses, they worship their children, they worship their families, they worship their money, etc., etc. They think that's their security. God will have no other God before him. If I try to find a security outside of Christ, whether it be money, social position, what I've earned, it'll just eventually sift through my fingers. Anything I want to be secure in me outside of knowing Christ is only going to produce a frustration in the end, isn't it? Amen. It's too very sad when people are very uh, elderly in life and find that out way too late. So, in Christ, I am secure. John chapter 10, no one can snatch us out of the Father's hands. Isn't that good? I can't even snatch myself out of the Father's hands. Isn't that good? Romans chapter 8, free from condemnation. Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate me from his love. Colossians chapter 3, I'm hidden with Christ in God. Philippians chapter 1, God will perfect the work he has begun in me. That's a great thing to pray for anyone. Maybe when your children grow up, Lord, accomplish all that concerns them. Perfect that what you have begun in them. That's a good prayer for your children when they're, when they're adults. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, I have a citizenship in heaven. This is all security stuff. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I have a sound mind. 
I have a sound mind. Hebrews chapter 4, I can find mercy and a help in time of need. Man, that's security stuff. 1 John 5, I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. That's security. If I hold on to that in Christ, death can't even defeat me. Amen. All right, the third area, the last area here that a believer is expected to identify with is being significant. This is another big one. Being significant. I can never figure out how this works. Oh, I figured it out. Being significant. You know, nothing is more important to us than knowing that you're significant. That your life had a purpose. That your life uh, matters. I'm sure many people here may have seen the film Saving Private Ryan. Right? You might remember in the film that the elderly Private Ryan, but well, he's not a private anymore, elderly Ryan is uh, visiting the graves at Normandy with his family. And he stares at the grave. You don't, you don't know this until the end of the movie. He's staring at the grave at the officer that gave his life for him. That would allow the young Private Ryan to one day be the now elderly Private Ryan or the elderly Ryan. And he stares at the gravestone and he trembles. And he says to his wife, tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. And she doesn't get it. Why? Because he's questioning within in the light of all their sacrifice around him. Did he live a life of significance? That great sacrifice they made that I shouldn't even be alive. What did I live in significance? Um, there was a great evangelist who once said, is what you're living for worth what Christ died for? Yeah. We would maybe make different plans in life. Um, adults need to, adult children, if you're an adult child, you need to do this for your parents. You need to tell them, if you can, if they're still with us, that you have made me the person I am today. They need to hear from you, from your lips, that they were significant because of who they were. They need to hear that. They need to hear that from uh, their adult children. You would be blessing them beyond words. And unless you're at that age, you wouldn't get it. But it'll bless them tremendously. I remember one time I tell you a funny story. When the church was real young, we had these two elderly ladies here in church. And they were really nice. And my mother was alive at the time. So occasionally I would bring her to church. And they would say, uh, we'll take care of your mother. I was like, well, and then you got to know these two ladies, they were pips. So <laughs> they, would go, they would go up to my mother and they would tell her how wonderful I was. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so embarrassing. And, and she'd be like shocked. And, oh, you must have been a wonderful mother. You must have been great. And, and, and my mother was like stunned. No one in her life ever talked to her like that. But she left the church feeling 10 feet tall because people were sowing life into her. Amen. Actually, these two ladies are very embarrassing. <laughs> they were sowing life into her and making her feel significant. Now, they didn't realize what they were doing, but they were doing it. Uh, there's a, there was a famous Christian counseling book. Uh, it's also a counseling method called The Search for Significance. Some of you have heard that before, the book? Yeah. Excellent method of, of counseling, excellent book. Boy, the guy hit it right on the head. 
people need to find significance in life. There's an old saying, I don't know where it comes from, life is not measured by the duration, but by the devotion. Um, another very old saying, don't try to pursue a life of success, pursue a life of significance. These are the things we need to be living by. And many people, you know, in their life, they do many works because it makes them feel significant. It makes them feel good. I've met people who work with disabled children because it made them feel good to do that, because it gave them self-worth. I knew a guy one time. I said, oh, wow. Uh, he worked with Catholic Charities helping uh, disabled kids. I said, that's really nice that you do this. He goes, oh, no, you don't get it. I said, what? I'm a very selfish man. Why? It's what they do for me. I said, I get it. Okay. It's, he was tell, telling me in no uncertain terms, this is the only thing in life I find significance in. He didn't say those words, but that's what it meant. And he was honest, very, very honest. You know, people help with fundraising to help them find significance. People help other people because it makes them feel significant. And that's good because people are looking for significance in life. So, you know, it becomes a question to all of us, where do I find significance? In what others say about me? What I own? How much power I have? How much control I have? All that is thinking Sam. So many people have a poor self-image in life, uh, not realizing they're not accepted, not secure in themselves. They, they're insignificant. So they work at finding significance. I saw a cartoon one time in a, in a, in a, in a uh, church magazine. This guy is sitting in front of the pastor and he's saying, I don't know. I feel like I'm a nothing. I feel like I'm a nobody. Nobody ever remembers me. I, ha I like I have no purpose in life. And they have the cloud there where the pastor's thinking. He goes, geez, I wish I could remember this guy's name. <laughs> pastor's jokes, I guess. Anyway, um, the key here, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Jesus brings me significance. I have to be accepting that. I got to stop looking for significance in other people. Got to stop looking for significance in what I might do. Every one of us have got to find our significance in Christ. Because he says I'm important, that makes me important. Because Jesus says I'm important, that makes me important. So, in Christ, I am significant. Matthew chapter 5, I'm, the, I'm salt and light. Wow. John chapter 15, I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit for the Master. Acts chapter 1, I'm a living witness of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, I'm a temple, a dwelling place of the living God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, I'm a minister of reconciliation. Isn't that something? You know, technically, any believer, if they want to, they can go get business cards that says, I am a minister of reconciliation. And you wouldn't be wrong. That's exactly who you are in the body of Christ. You're a minister of reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 2, I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Wow, that's, that's pretty significant to me. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. And as you hear these things, my whole point here is we have to start thinking like this. You know, very few people, you know, get up in the morning, look in the mirror. I'm sitting with Christ in the heavenly realm. We don't talk like that, but we should. Amen. I don't feel that great today. How about I'm blessed today because Christ says so. 
We have to start thinking like this. We have to start training our minds to think different. And you will find you're probably in less than 2% of the body of Christ that lives this way. How sad. If so much more did, what could have been accomplished here in our generation on the earth? If we start believing Jesus finally. Amazing. You know, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 here, he talks about the men of faith in the Old Testament and how horribly they were treated in God's name. And it says in uh, verse 38 that men of whom the world was not worthy. When you come to Christ and we're living in a generation uh, controlled by the evil one, you are, they are now, you are not worthy, they are not worthy of your presence. Wow. Now, not that we want to keep them that way. We want to see them know Christ. But wow. That means that men who have uh, significance in the eyes of God usually don't have it in the eyes of the natural men. You and I that have significance in the Lord's eyes probably have no significance in the eyes of men. How about that? Maybe that has to be said of you and I. Uh, not by what we've done, but that Christ makes me significant. And I have a significance known in heaven. And that's what matters. Uh, Romans um, chapter 10 here, verse 15. How blessed are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Wherever you go as a representative of Christ, and you are, you bring glad tidings of good things. It says, blessed are your feet. You ever think of your little piggies that way? Blessed are your feet. You're a, the blessings of God just walked into this room because I walked into this room. That's how you have to start to view yourself. It sounds silly, but it's not. It's the new reality because you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. We are needed in the body of Christ. You are needed. You're not an insignificant pew sitter. God forbid anybody ever told you that. You are not. You are significant. You are needed. Romans 8 tells us all of creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed. In Colossians 3, which we just read before, in verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. How about that? The world can't see my identity with their naked eye. I look like anybody else. But when Christ who is our life is revealed, you will also be revealed with him in glory. Yet one day, the naked eye will see what we really are. You know, when I see the body of Christ out there, I see the real VIPs. These are the real VIPs in the eyes of the Lord, and I want to treat them that way. That's exactly what they are. Jesus made me significant. You have to have that personal view of yourself. Jesus made me significant. He brought importance to me because uh, he's important. You ever think about that? Because he's important, he brought you importance. Uh, just look at a simple marriage analogy. When Kate Middleton married into the British royalty, she was raised to a place of significance she had not previously had, right? I'm sure she changed the way she saw herself very quickly because she was told to see herself very differently. That's you. That's me. He has raised us up to significance. So don't leave here tonight without knowing 
and accepting that we have been elevated in Christ. I don't know how you personally view yourself, but we need to start seeing ourselves the way we really are as the new creation in Christ Jesus. God uses people like this because they're believing him. The devil wants you sin conscious, failure conscious. The Lord wants you victory conscious, righteousness conscious. That is, you have right standing in his eyes. Um, years ago, uh, Pastor Walt was teaching on righteousness. I like what he did. Uh, he said, to, he started, started his sermon off this way. He said, um, uh, being he's gone home to be with the Lord, remembering all these things over the years, he said to people, uh, I want you to think of three things you could do to be in right standing with the Lord right now that he would be pleased with. Think of three things you can do to be in right standing with the Lord. Don't say anything, just be quiet. It's okay, people, I'm thinking. Well, if you only came up with two things, that's a little better. But if you came up with nothing, you understand righteousness. There's nothing I could do to make myself more pleasing in the eyes of the Lord than I already am because of the blood of Jesus. Pretty wild. Because everybody's going to think, well, I could pray more, go to church more, give more, lead more people to Christ. Those are nice things, but that comes out of the nature of who you are, not trying to earn something to get God to approve you. Yet, as Americans, we're told to work, 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 work. God doesn't bless the lazy. Work, 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 work. I get it. But my acceptance in Christ is by nothing I can add. It's vital that we uh, have to change the way this world age has taught us to see ourselves because it has lied to us. It has lied to us. We need to see ourselves, what I've been saying tonight, as Christ sees us. We need to be because we're identified with Christ. Let's end here with a, uh, a profession of our faith here, a confession of our faith. Just, just raise your right hand and just repeat after me. And really think about what you're saying. Do you believe this? Because of Jesus, just repeat that. Because of Jesus, I am accepted. Because of Jesus, I am secure. Because of Jesus, I am significant. You can put your hand down. That's good. I hope you believe it. And if you don't, it's okay. Ask the Lord to help make it real to you. Because I know people from different places, ways they were raised, it's hard to say things like that. That's why we're all going under a transformation process. We're all being changed into the likeness of Christ. In the natural. We're already there in the spirit, but in the natural we're being changed. I'd like to close from prayer for you now. Uh, Father God, we submit ourselves to you to view ourselves and how you see us. That we would view ourselves, Father God, the way you would want us to see ourselves. Bring us change to our thinking, Father. Bring change to how we see ourselves. May we begin to see ourselves as you see us. Think and speak and act accordingly. For all of the creation longs for the sons of God to be revealed. Father God, reveal these men and women of God here tonight, those who are listening on the airwaves, that, Father God, uh, we would walk in what Jesus has already accomplished for us in the generation we live in as long as we, as we are physically on this earth. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.